I told you I used to be an S&S girl. First thing I gave up was sex and then smoking. <laughs> and now? B&B, Bookie and Bingo. <laughs> Who's that coming down the street? Who's that looking so petite? Who's that coming down to meet me here? Who's that you know who I mean? Sweetest who you've ever seen? I could tell a miles away from here. Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Yes, ma'am, we decided. No, ma'am, we won't hide it. Yes, ma'am, you're invited now. This is the story of Flory Rush McGowan, who has seen the kind of things and gone the kind of places that most of us only dream about. From the Easter Rising of 1916 to the stages and speakeasies of Broadway, it is a story of glamour, excitement and sadness. Today, at 85, Flory looks back on her life. That's my baby, no sir, that maybe yes sir, that's my baby now. Jim Larkin, we used to rent out horses and cars for Sunday afternoons. And we used to uh, charge for them, of course. And I as a little girl would go down to Liberty Hall, not the old Liberty Hall, and I would be able to stand on a box to write paid F rush with thanks and collect the money. So Jim, uh, Larkin's men at that time were, we knew them all, we knew the different men in the, in the thing, and we were, and I would go there, and as I said, I knew all those people, and when they wanted a fast pony and trap, they didn't tell mother exactly what it was for, so she rented it, and it went down to Sackville Place. So, uh, they got the pony and trap, and the man that drove the pony and trap worked, you know, came back and told us that Jim had a red wig and a woman's dress and he jumped from the window from the Imperial Hotel, which was above Cleary's, into the trap, got down to the north wall, got some motorboat or something that took him and the boat to Liverpool and he got to America. Now, I met his son in Dublin and his son took me to lunch and he said, that's right, you're telling exactly what happened. The, the day of the uprising, I had friends that uh, told me that they were at Mass on Sunday morning that there was going to be an uprising and tomorrow's the day. And uh, sort of we were waiting for it and I lived in Fenella Place and we were running up and down the streets, you know, watching 
and it was Easter Monday. So no work. But we went to the top of the street, my brother and myself and a couple of people from the street, and we saw the Lancers coming around from Mooney's public house opposite the Rotunda and charging down the street. And at Kramer's piano store, there was a, uh, an officer shot off his horse. We stood at the corner of a later place and we watched a priest run out of the Gresham and administer the last rites to this man lying on the ground and his horse. The horse lay there for a week after on the ground because there was no law and order there. I went, we went down towards the post office then with the, all the excitement and then we, we came back home and mother said you better stay home now you've seen all you want to see today there's too much trouble out and then everything went awry the streets began to get looted they ran down our street with McDowell's jewels and Noblet's candies Gogan's at the top of the street. There was candy strewn all over, sweets in those days, I call them, all over the streets. There was. Then the soldiers arrived, the, North, the Royal Irish Rifles, and they came into our house and used our kitchen. I knew all the rebels. I knew them all. And they were good men, those rebels. I used to sing at various halls. People would come and ask me, and I did. I wrote a play, and there was a Father Coleman, a, a Dominican priest, and he was a friend of ours. And he said, "You know, that's a pretty nice play." He said, "I'll see that you get it on in the Denmark Street School for the orphans there." So I wrote the play, and Lady Aberdeen was a patroness, a patron there, a patroness, and she said called me and she said, you know, you're a pretty bright little girl and I'm going to keep my eye on you. Now, I was about 17 or 18 at the time. So I sang for the Irish prisoners of war. I sang in the Capitol Theatre. I sang in Father Matthew Hall, Father Collins Hall, the original Xavier Hall they have now. I sang at the Drumcondra Bazaars. And I was pretty well known as a little artist around Dublin. And a woman by the name, at night, when I was 19, a woman by the name of Rushton came over and she said, Lady Aberdeen is sending a troop to America. Would you permit your daughter to go? Mother said, of course, she said, it was for our betterment. We sailed on the 29th of November and we landed in New York on the 8th of December, 1916. It was a holy day. And I wanted to tell you, on my trip to America, a U-boat followed us for four days out, because we were on the Baltic ship, and the Baltic was a gun runner. She was bringing guns and ammunition back, and the Germans knew it. And I had an officer from the Canadian Army, was my man that I had to meet every morning and go up to our lifeboats for four days out. And we only had 40 people on board. 
I sang uh, uh, songs and I danced. I danced a jig and I sang. I sang a song called The Shamrocks Were Growing on Broadway and oh, every girl was an Irish Colleen and the town of New York was the county of Cork. All the buildings were painted green. Sure, the Hudson looked just like the Shannon. Oh, how good and how real it did seem. I could hear mothers singing, sweet Shandon bells ringing. Twas only an Irish man's dream. Lady Agnes wrote Mother, and I said, ask Mother to release me, to have you release me, and I'll stay in America, and I'll try my hand at, at show business. So I went out and got a job in Alice Cowser's office, and I, I was typing, and she was a playwright, and she was a very nice person. And on my lunch hour one day, I went out, and I was looking at a dress along Broadway at 39th Street, exactly. And I said, a girl came along, and she said to me, that's a pretty dress. I said, yes, but I, I don't know why I'm looking at it. I haven't any money. She said, are you in theatrical? I said, I was, but I'm working temporarily as a typist. She says, there's a call for girls for a show on the road. She said, Henry W. Savage at 42nd Street. She said, go on up and apply for it. I'm going up to get it, she said. So I went right with her. And with my Irish accent, the man's name was McKeeves from Belfast. And he said, I'll make you another study, he said, of Lizzie. It's an Irish detective in a department store. And he said, you're right. Your voice is right for it, he said. Can you sing? I said, yes, I can. And I told him the act that I'd been in. There and then, I went back to Cowser's, resigned, and went rehearsing with the Have a Heart Show. Rehearsed with the Have a Heart Show, and we opened in Poughkeepsie, New York. Went all up through New York, and I hit Glens Falls again, where my daughter is now married and living there, strangely enough. Played all the way up into Canada, played in and out of Canada all the way, Aurelio, North Bay, New London, Toronto, Montreal, all the way across New Windsor in Ontario and Windsor in, and Michigan, and all the way across, and reached Saskatoon, where the flu hit us. That was 1918, you see. We were commandeered by the town. Four commissioners ran that town. And we were commandeered as showgirls because we, the theaters were closed to go and nurse, help nursing the hospital. So I was asked would I go out to a farmhouse, and I'd gone out. I knew these men. I'd met them at, in a, a crap game. And I went on to nurse them, and, and the brother stayed in Saskatoon, and it was a place called Clark's Crossing, Saskatchewan. And it was way down... Uh, Boreen Lane, and I sat up with the man, I made him tea, I made him something to eat, and he said to me, would you get me, would you write my mother in Birmingham? And I sat down and I started to write the letter, and he told me the saddest tale. He said, dear mother, I'm very ill, I don't think I'll see the morning. He said, I, words to that effect, he said, I was wiped out dust storms, and when the dust didn't come, the frost killed us. So he said, we're not doing too well in Canada at all. And the man died that night. 
and the northwest bounder told me if there was any death or nothing to put a pillowcase out on a stick. So the northwest drove up the boarding, took the dead body with the men into town, and I had to go in, of course, and then I, that night, got very ill. Now, I got a room, I was in the room in the Plymouth Hotel, but in the Empire Hotel at this time. And Jack Wagner, the manager, there was a Chinese restaurant in the bottom. There was a lot of Chinese people in that time in Saskatoon, Canada at the time. And he came up with soup and everything and bought me moccasins to put on my feet to keep me. And, he, and they gave you plenty of drink, whiskey, because that was the cure for the flu in those days. Spanish influenza. They were dying by the dozens. We lost, we lost, before they left Saskatoon, the show lost the, the woman, the character woman, and two chorus men. And then I was the third, and I was left behind. The manager went to the manager of the hotel, and he said to him, this woman comes from Dublin, Ireland. I don't know anything about her relations, he said. I know that she hasn't got a passport or anything, but he said she's with, uh, with us, and I go good for her every time we come in and out of Canada. So he said, here's $250, he said, and if she dies, this will be enough to bury her. They took my trunk and everything with them, and they left me a navy blue suit, and I used to carry a little swagger cane. I was quite the girl at the time. It was a style. So I got, felt good, as I told you, the Chinese used to feed me all the time, and the manager of the hotel was very decent. And I got dressed and took off. I said, I'm going to catch the train. I'm going to catch them in either Edmonton or Alberta, or Calgary, Alberta. That's the name of the province. So I got to Edmonton, and they were pulling out. And I got off the train, and they said, that's the Irish girl over there. She's back. She's our, that's our, that must be with my navy blue suit. In the month of, this is the month of October now, and, and things are tough. And I joined the show again. So uh, when I got to uh, San Francisco, this boy came in, he came from Mayfield, California, and he said, don't you remember me, Tom Dempsey, he said, from William Street. I said, oh, Tom and I had a cousin, a priest, and we used to play down a Volca, and he was the curate there. So he says, don't you know me? He says, I'm Tom Dempsey, I'm out here with my sister Alice, and I'm out here. And that was the night the second lead lost her voice. And I was the understudy, and I played it in San Francisco and played it all the way back to Dover 
Delaware. You said something when you said you love me. Oh, but I wonder for how long it will be. If someday you find you've altered your mind, I'll be forgiving, but simply cannot go on living. Girls much prettier you will meet by the score. Will you regret you never met them before? You said something when you said you loved me, but say it a whole lot more. And I always got jobs in pictures as extras and all, or understudies. But there was Dorothy Dalton was a famous actress in those days, and they took me out to a ferry off New York, and they say, we'll give you $100. Now, you've got to jump in after she gets rescued. You're her understudy. You have to, you're her double. You take the dress, the suit off of her, and you get it, and you run towards, so the day they showed me, the tide was in. And it didn't look but 100, only looked about 100 feet down. But the day I was to do it, the tide had gone out, and it was too far, and I said, no, no way for $100 will I jump that. So they said, you'll never get a job at Metro again. I said, that's all right, too, but I'm not going to take a chance there. There's one thing that a woman can't live without, and that's a man. There's one thing keeps a woman always in doubt, and that's a man. Now, I'm no exception to the rule. I know they say that I'm a fool. But there's one thing that I'm simply crazy about, and that's my man. You name the theaters in New York, I worked them, either with Gerlax or on my own with a piano player by the name of Leon Flato, who played for Mae West. And he sang, he wrote that song, I got a new kind of man with a new kind of love for me. Flato played piano and we did a little monologue and we made funny remarks, you know, like he'd say, uh, did you ever hear about the red-haired woman? Did you ever sleep with a red-haired woman? I'd say to him, he'd say, no, not a wink. They're Things like that, you know, not too filthy, not too, but uh, enough to make a giggle. For a revolver, I don't mean for fun. I ought to shoot him for things that he's done. But I can't pull the trigger. Some of a gun is a good man to have a I got a show, I got, that's when I got Honey Girl. It was old checkers put the music. The book checkers put the music. And it was gorgeous. There was some numbers in that now. I'm getting tired of the country. I'm getting tired of its ways. I want to go to the city with its plays and cabarets. Small town affairs make me lonesome. People around me make me blue. I want to leave them behind me. 
What I need is a change, that's true. I'd like to go away, I'd leave today from the town where I was born. The cattle lowing, the rooster crowing, wakes me early every morn. And the village bowls are oh so slow, and the crowd around the grocery stores. The oldest riddles they repeat, why does a chicken cross the street? I'd like to leave this village for a place where I never could be bored, where there is no celebration when your neighbor buys a Ford. I'd like to go away, I'd leave today for the city's merry world. Well, I swan, I must be getting on. I wasn't meant to be a small-town girl. Mary's show, Sam Forrest was a producer, and if I made, if I said something, he said, you know, that girl's got a fascinating voice. She speaks Irish. Is she an Irish girl? And they'd always say, give her a few lines. They'd write a few lines in, like, Mr. Hayward, what horse is going to win today? That was Honey Girl. And he'd tell me, and then I went into I wasn't meant to be a small-town girl. Three race horses on stage, running on treadmills and jockeys and everything. Real horses and everything. Horses. Yes. And when a new girl had come on, we'd tell her where to stand, and it was just too bad because sometimes the horses wouldn't behave themselves, you know, when you watching them. 42nd Street was one of the highest. Theatres all over the place, Frank Bacon and Lightning, I'm trying to think of. The Follies. And then when you went to the Follies, you see, you were, if you were a girl that could get, get the Follies. But I was pretty well known as a, a girl on Broadway because I knew Bing Crosby and I knew several Matter Dees and I knew Sophie Tucker and I knew them all. And you know, you'd, you'd get to know where there would be a rehearsal. And it was through Fanny Bryce that I went to join the, the Follies, like they had an opening and I went in there. from parties that I'd, be, I'd go on when I was in Honey Girl because the, the theatre, the Amsterdam Theatre and the Conan House Theatre were near each other and we'd meet each other in 41st Street at the back where we'd all sit on trunks outside talking and Jeanette MacDonald was on the other side singing her heart away and she made the grade. Get what other boilies do. 
naughty as the Follies in Paris, but the only time we had a, a naughty one was we had fans in front of us, but our back was was uh, exposed, but we had to keep a big red fan, red and white scene, a big a large fan in front, and we danced with our backs to the audience, and I used to, it was the last girl off, and, and give them a little wave going off, you know. Yes, sir, that's my baby, no, sir, don't mean maybe, yes, sir, that's my baby now. Well, well, look at that baby, do tell, don't say maybe, Nell's bells, won't she cause some row? Pretty soon, pretty soon, we will hear that low and grin should she be, sir? No one else but me, sir. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. I went back to Dublin and stayed. I was going to be married, I thought, to this Frank Irwin, you see. He had asked me to leave show business and go and be a nurse in Bellevue, and I walked out of Bellevue after four months. Then he wanted me, he said, I couldn't, I'm going to be a judge. I can't, you know, I can't have this, I can't have that. So I returned to, to Ireland for a while, he came over, his mother came over, and my cousin the priest came over, and my mother came over, and we were going to have the wedding, and he said, no, he would not be married by a priest, and he wouldn't be married. So we called the whole thing off. And he came back to America, and I came back to America after, after I, uh, the ring he gave me, I sold on Tottenham Court Road for 40 pounds, bought a 30-pound trip. I didn't have enough to tip the waiters, but I tipped them after. I had a quarter getting off of the Hoboken yet. And a policeman gave me the bonds, and I came over to New York, went right up to the Shalicks, Benny Shalick, who married Lillian Roth of I'll Cry Tomorrow. I was at their wedding. So I came up to them, and I said, uh, Benny, I said, I want a loan of $50. I said, I, I have no money, and I'm looking for a job, and I'm back again in New York. I'm going up to live with the Flatos. He says... Uh, Followed by the name of Bill Fallon, he's like the F. Lee Bailey of today, the, the fighter for the underdog, you see, and lawyer. He said, I love that girl's actor. Bring her in here. I want to meet her. She's an Irish girl. And then I went, and he said, what are you doing back here? I said, I'm going, I have a receipt from Smith's of Tottenham Court Road for the ring, and I said, I'm going to sue Frank Irwin for breach of promise. Oh, a nice Catholic girl like you wouldn't do a thing like that. Wouldn't I, I said. I went to the hospital farm four months and hurled there and, and, you know, went on with the funny stories about it. He said, I got the man for you. He said, your own kind and everything. Hey, Mac, come out here, he said, calling the ground out. They'd had a case together, you know, how district attorneys and lawyers all. He's a little girl just off the boat. Do you want anything better than that? But I went with him for a year. The meantime, I came back and worked a while. Uh, worked girl acts on Broadway, different girl acts on Broadway, and worked on different places. And I was getting very itchy to get back to Ireland again 
for some reason or other. And Kitty Mahoney said to me, come on and finish out in Georgie White Scandals. So I finished the six weeks in the Scandals, left for Ireland, came back, stayed in, uh, came back on a boat with Dick Reynolds. We come to the Camel Cigarette Kid. I met Dick Reynolds and we were on the boat together. He was going over to buy a, a yacht or something. He was a million billionaire, the Camel Cigarettes, and a fellow named Grace Stables, Raleigh Cigarettes. And I went, I said, well, we'll do London. I know London pretty well. So we did London together, and we went on to Paris. We did all sorts of things in Paris, crazy things, you know? Uh, like he'd, he'd, he'd charter a yacht up the Seine and to go skinny dipping. And we were all arrested one time, and he'd pay it off. He'd so much money and all. Then I decided, now this, I got, this has got to stop, see? I've got to go back to America and get terra firma again. I got off the boat in... Went up to Flato's to get my apartment where I lived with her. Had dinner with her that Saturday night. I landed on a Saturday, the 7th of August. That was 1926? Yeah. Came back down the street and there was a Monsignor Cashman standing outside of the Church of the Blessed Trinity on 82nd Street. And McGowan stopped. He said, Father, would you marry us without the bands? Now, I'd been gone a year, say, almost a year away, and gadding around. And he said, yes, he said, why? I said, Father, you can call the bands as loud as you like. My people are 3,000 miles away. So he didn't want his people to know they had objected to him going with me in the first place because I was a showgirl. And he said, well, I don't want my folks to know. He said, well, I'm ashamed he's this nice little girl. I said, Father, I just came back from Ireland. I said, I'm... So he said, sure, I'll marry you. And I said, my mother sent, gave me a pair of roses, and she said, you pray that you meet the right Catholic man and you get married and don't be gadding around, you know. And that's all I ask you, she said. I let you go to America, I let you have your freedom. Now do what I ask you. So he said, yes, I'll marry you. I said, how about, ne uh, he said, how about next Sunday, the 15th of August, I was married. All his sisters got together, the brother and, I, and they were all at the back of the church crying. And the priest said, this is a wedding, not a funeral. And Brandon Tynan's wife gave me away. He, he was the head of the actors, Catholic Actors Guild. They were on the suffering with me going back. And she gave me my bouquet. And a little Jewish Lutheran girl was my best maid, a girl named May Giazinta, stood up for me at the last minute. And a French countess that had a, a corset store somewhere in, knew my husband, she gave the wedding breakfast, whatever it was in our home in Riverside Drive, and that was my wedding. And the dress that I got married in was bought off the models, paid for by Dick Reynolds. Oh boy, what I'm doing. 
one time he was asked to do something by Jimmy Hines and I, when we were first married and he was a young DA and he was only out on trial on running murders that would happen, you see, in the street. He became a trial man after. He went the highest in the office. And they said, whatever it was, he said, Jimmy, I couldn't do that, he said. I'm a practicing Catholic. There was plenty of racketeering, and you knew who they were. And after I got married, it would be nothing for me to find a bottle of dozens of whiskey outside my door, left as a gratuity or a, a semi-bribe, but you wouldn't know who it was. Uh, Charlie Lucky. I was at a party one night. The judges sat one place. The district attorney sat another place. They magistrates sat another place and then we were all told to go upstairs on the second floor of the Astor and there was anything you wanted from soup to nuts and I said to my husband when we got home who was the one was the host up there he said would you believe it is Charlie Lucky at Luciana I met Mae West in 1929 28 or 29 but I saw her again later she our people had her speakeasy Oh, what's that, Helen? Oh, you want to know the best way to hold a man? Mm, the best way to hold a man is in your arms. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, like I always say, it's not the men in your life that counts. It's the life in your men. <laughs> So when May had a show called The Pleasure Man, and she was told to cut it out, and the district attorney, the assistant DA that was prosecuting her, told my husband, he said, I know that your wife is very friendly with May West, but you tell her I'm going to make an example of her, and the $1,000 a day that she's paying to, to Nathan Birkin doesn't mean a thing. So he said, I'm going to make her punish her for the show. So he gave her 10 days. So through my husband's efforts, she did 10 days in the warden's house. It was a, a, a show about uh, ACDC or bent people or whatever you'd like to call them here. We call them fags in America. They were, were, in, in, they were all arrested. In, uh, when they were arrested, they all took off their dresses and they were naked. They, and they wouldn't get in the van with the man. They were wearing women's clothes. And they wouldn't get into the, into the van. He's sitting with me on my couch Sorting tobacco in his pouch But when I touch him, he goes ouch He then becomes a naked ape He's really very civilized But when I start to roll my eyes The beast in him begins to rise he then becomes a naked ape. He knew me West in 29, but he got to know her in 36 out again because he did the favor naturally. There was a little bond of friendship during the horses, and Mickey Sheedy had her horses and my horses, and he had her picture with Diamond Lil all over all the buckets in this thing, you know, and he sent me a card through the mail and said, you better get back. Things are not so sharp here, if you know what I mean. Mother said, glory be to God, she said, sending a thing like that through the mail with that woman with that corset, diamond lil at the time, you see. And I got the hint. He said, you better get back. And then I came back 
when I came back, things were all right, and uh, we we were all right up to that time, and that was the first. But he had he had several affairs, but the Adams I couldn't break up. The Adams girl, Peggy Adams, that was the love of his life, whatever it was. Well, he'd stay away weekends, and I was indifferent. I figured, what's the use, you see? And the young boy was 10, and I was telling him I was going to get a, a separation. And they begged me, he said, Mother, the oldest boy said to me, Mother, how can you? We bring him down there as a lawyer, down to the school, down to a um, famous school in New York, to a famous Christian Brothers School. They used to call them the Bowery Boys. Bringing my father down there as a lawyer, as an example, and I couldn't do it, you see? So don't get a divorce, don't get a separation. I never would have married again, but I would have got a divorce. And then, my bo then I went and got a job with the government, and then he got himself into a mess. He was going with this girl, and he found her out with a friend of his. And he had an old-fashioned gun that it was out on the estate. He was—he was an—he was made an executor of a state. That—that that was a gratuity that the government, that the political people gave you, or the judges gave you. You made yourself about ten thousand dollars out of it, you know. And he had this gun, and when he saw her with this police friend of his, detective, she was coming into her home at Eighty Fourth Street, and East Side. He pulled a gun and he shot her. And it went through her stomach. It didn't kill her. And uh, he came, the policeman came up the next morning that arrested him, a friend of his, a big colored black man by the name of Battle. And he said, Mrs. McGowan, my oldest boy was 17. He said, Mrs. McGowan, he said, I've had news for you, but he said, please come up. Mr. McGowan was arrested last night, he said and he's up in the 123rd Street Station House. If you want to go, he said, and see him, please don't make it any harder for him. The, the, the hotel, the sergeant in the station house said, make it easy for him. I went in and he called me aside. Now he said, follow through on what he has told us, telling me that he had the gun, and that he called several of his friends who came to detectives that knew him. He did call them that day, but it wasn't for to give them the gun back, but that's what it appeared in the court. And as he came out with a tousled head and this big black sergeant bring him coming with him, I felt so sorry for him. He said, uh, he went up to the magistrate, Schwartz or Schultz or something, he said, don't You've not, you boys have nothing on me. Remember, I've been back there for 15 years. I know all the angles. And the one then called me aside. He said, this Mrs. McGowan. He said, did you know this Peggy Adams? I said, yes, I did. Is she a friend of the family? I said, yes. I followed through. I said, he did try to get Johnny Hawthorne. And uh, Johnny Hawthorne and a fellow named McGinty. I said to get him to give up that gun because he had no right to have a gun. He was no longer a DA. And he found it in an old cupboard from an old estate that he was, he was the 
So then all the they he was remanded and about ten bailsmen wanted to bail him out and he got out. I stood by him until then I was working on the VA. The boss came to me and said, We're opening a branch in Philadelphia. You come on to Philadelphia. At that time then I was determined that I would get rid of McGowan. So I left him with the three children on 111th Street, 535 111th Street on Broadway, near Broadway. I left him there with the three children and I would come home weekends. And I broke in the help in Philadelphia with the Veterans Administration. And that was September I got that job. In October he checked himself in. He got this slight stroke. He'd had it on and off. He checked himself into the VA hospital, broke, down and out with nothing, and checked himself in, went under the high blood pressure operation, and t uh, he put him in ice for 48 hours, and he still lived they, to bring his pressure down. He went under the high blood pressure operation, 10 days apart he went on the next one, and on the 27th of February, he died of post-operative post pneumonia, and I was there the night he died, but I had gone home, and at seven in the morning I was told, and my friend Leon Flato, that I'd mentioned before, that played piano, his wife came up with me to the hospital, and we found McGowan, we took him out, and I buried him, I gave him a good burial, and he barely had enough money in insurance to bury him. I was broke, he was broke, he had nothing. Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Oh, by the way, oh, by the way, when you hear the preacher, he'll say, Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Yes, sir, that's my baby, no, sir. I don't mean maybe, yes, sir. That's my baby, no. Yes, ma'am, we'll be silent, yes, ma'am. We won't hide it, yes, ma'am. You'll hide it now. By the way, by the way, when the preacher, preacher will say, Yes, sir, that's my baby, no, sir. That means maybe, yes, sir. That's my baby now. Yes, sir. That's my baby. No, sir. Don't mean maybe. Yes, sir. That's my baby now. Well, well, look at that baby. Do tell. Don't say maybe. Nell's bell. Little Eddie Cantor. That's right, man. Pretty soon. Always had five dollars and was dying for a son. Never got one. Really? Did you know Eddie Cantor well? Knew very well. Ida was his wife. Should she be, sir? No one. I knew Milton Berle, too. Yes, sir, that's my baby.